Now, it's exactly 12 years since my next guest's life changed forever. Matt King from Hertfordshire was an aspiring rugby player one minute, 60 seconds into his first ever game for the London Brocos Academy. The unthinkable happened. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us what happened at that moment. Uh, hi, good afternoon. Um, 12 years ago, yeah, almost to the day, I uh, was stepping onto the pitch as a 17-year-old boy and dreaming of a career as a professional rugby player. Uh, the, the match kicked off and you know, I remember actually consciously thinking that my, my dream of a professional rugby career had just become one step closer. But just, just 20 seconds into the match, as I went into my first tackle as I had hundreds and if not thousands of times before. Whilst growing up, something you know, went terribly wrong. Um, lying on the pitch, I knew exactly what had happened. Um, I've since been told that as I went into that tackle, one of my own teammates came in to help. And as he did so, his knee struck me in the side of my neck and broke it instantly. Wow. Yeah, I, you know, I can't really convey the gravity of the emotions that went through my mind on the pitch. And the paramedics were asking me to move my toes. I couldn't. The physios were asking if I could feel them touching my hands and I couldn't. And you know, it very quickly dawned on me that I had broken my neck and that my life had changed forever. So 20 seconds into your yep. new career, your, your dream ahead of you, like you say, you, you then almost knew, you said, you almost felt it, you almost kind of had a gut sense that something terrible, but, you know, you knew you'd broken your neck. Yeah, I think it's instinct. Right. You know, when, you know, you can't feel anything and you can't move anything, it, you know, you can draw the, jo uh, join the dots. And I, I did that in my mind, lying on the pitch and... Um, I stopped breathing on the pitch, fell unconscious, and I remember the last thing I said to the paramedics was just to let me die. There and then on the pitch? There and then, just before I fell unconscious, yeah. It was um, in a 17-year-old boyhood, growing up playing sport all his life, and that was my dream. Um, I'd, I was applying to join the RAF at the time of my accident, but I'd always been young, fit and healthy, and then suddenly, literally in a split second, uh, my life had changed forever. And did you mean it when you said, let me die? I did, definitely, because, you know, I didn't know what was possible, um, you know, after a broken neck, paralysis, or, or what the future held, and it was just truly terrifying, and, you know, it was quite a, a lonely place lying on that pitch with no-one around me who I knew, um, knowing that and it's, that's, the worst it, has happened. It's just incredible to hear you speak so honestly about it as well, because, like you say, in, in 20 seconds, your life changed forever. But then it wouldn't have been much longer, another 20 seconds, perhaps, you're thinking, I want to die. Yeah, it was um, certainly a lot happened on the pitch that day. Um, it, was, it was 12 years ago on Monday, uh, the 4th of the 4th, 04. You know, a, a day that changed my life. Um, but fortunately, 12 years down the line, I'm, I'm here and I've made the best of it. Does that moment still haunt you? No, not at all. Um, and obviously my life changed and, and took a different path from that moment on, but um, I think if that moment on the pitch would have destroyed my life, then of course I'd look back with regret or with heartache and things, but it didn't change the person I am and so much has happened since then and now I'm incredibly happy leading a, a normal life and I'm looking forward to the future. That's, that's, that's so great to hear I and mean, what a transformation what a, you know from I want to die to now saying actually my whole life's ahead of me and it, it hasn't affected me perhaps in the way I, I feared it would 
well, it's, okay, it's easy to say that now. I'm sitting here with you, but there were so many times in in hospital uh, when I woke up knowing that I broke my neck and um, not knowing what the future held for me. That I certainly wouldn't be speaking this way because I was paralysed from the neck down, laying in hospital away from my friends and family, not knowing what I could do, and you know, thinking that life was a hospital. Um, and how long were you in hospital for? Um, I, I was airlifted from the pitch, right. taken to Leeds General Infirmary and then spent nine months recovering in the National Spinal nine Injury Centre in Stoke Mandeville. Wow. Yeah. No wonder you thought, my life, well, this is it. <laughs> yeah, it's um, kind of the most devastating injury. Um, I'm paralysed from the neck down and you, now. Yeah, and you're still, so just, just describe so um, people listening can understand yeah. um, what well, disabilities you were left with, basically. Well, on that, in that split second, my life and my body was changed and sitting here today... It's in exactly the same state as it was laying on the pitch. I haven't had any improvement and I never will do. I'm paralysed from the neck down with absolutely no feeling or movements. And I'm reliant upon a ventilator to breathe for me. Um, so without the ventilator, um, I've got a couple of minutes before um, I'm in serious trouble. And yeah, there's been no, no improvement and there never will be. And I, almost in a perverse sort of way, that's a good thing because... It was very hard to face up to in hospital. You know, you, you, I was looking for any sign of improvement. But when the doctors came to me and said, look, it's really quite bad and this is never going to change. Every morning when I woke up, I didn't have that, you know, what happens today if I do move my finger a little bit? Will yeah, that I, happen? And it was just, I had to face up to it. I completely relate to that. Yeah, because there's no... <sighs> I don't know how quite to put it, but there's nothing to aim for physically. It's not like, oh, if only I just could make myself move my finger, mm -hmm. or if only I could just today stand up, or if only I could just hobble along, maybe one day I'll be walking again. Mm -hmm. you, you know, unfortunately, and as horrific as that is, you know that's never going to happen. So there's almost no point... You give up on that, you know, in a, in a sort of relieving way. You sort of give up on trying, and then you can focus on other things. Absolutely. I um, could focus my energy and my um, concentration on making the best of what I still could do. Um, you know, I was very poorly in hospital, but I had to improve my physical uh, body so that I could get home and kind of maximise what I could still do in life. And I'm going to have nine months in hospital. And yeah. It is a life-changing amount of time. It, it certainly is. What, what sort of psychological impact did that have on you at the time? Um, it, it was incredibly tough. It was lonely. You know, when you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and it's dark and you're surrounded by other poorly patients and you're a long way from anybody you know and you're a long way from the life that you thought you were going to, going to lead. Um, it, it's tough, but, you know, I, I said that I had to face up to the fact that my life was never going to, my body was never going to improve and that helped me in the long run. There were a lot of dark days at the start. You know, a vic I saw myself as a victim. Kind of, why me? What surprised. have I done to deserve this? I thought it was very unfair. I think anyone would see themselves as a victim. I mean, um, <laughs> you know. I guess so. It was, that, but that was the easy option to see myself as the victim. You know, just to accept people's sympathy. But you know, the time soon came when I thought, well, that's not going to get me anywhere. You know, I'm in hospital. My life has changed. But okay, now you've got to do something about it. And it was only down to me. Whether I did that or not, it wasn't. It was my decision, basically. Do I give in and just rely upon the mercies around me to make me better, go home and sit in front of TV for the rest of my life, or do I actually embrace 
my life take hold of the future and, and see what is possible. So describe the impact this injury had on the rest of your family, going through the initial shock that you had this yep. life-changing accident, but then also that nine months period in hospital. Um, my mum is a nurse, so when my parents got the phone call that I'd had a neck injury and I'd been airlifted from the pitch, unfortunately, kind of my parents were in the situation where they knew what the worst-case scenario with a neck injury could be, a, you know, paralysis. And so they then had the three-hour drive from our home in Bedfordshire at the time up to Leeds, not knowing if I was okay. So um, no, I can't ever begin to understand kind of what they went through. It was completely different to me, but I would imagine it was equally um, horrific. And, you know, I had, well, I have two brothers who were, you know, Andrew, my, Andrew, my older brother, kind of was old enough to understand what had happened. And my younger brother was still 12. So Michael was kind of still at school. And for nine months, you know, my parents' attention was all focused on me, basically. So Michael almost lost not only his brother, but also the support of my, my parents as well. So, yeah, it was equally tough on my family, but kind of we pulled together. And fortunately, 12 years down the line, we have had to make a lot of tough decisions. And because of the kind of extent of my disability, there were very few people that we could actually look towards um, who had actually been there, done it and got the T-shirt and rebuilt their lives because... <laughs> You know, in Stoke Mandeville at the time, I was the worst of the worst. You know, people say, I'm kind of, there's always somebody worse off. Well, I was in the National Spinal Injury Centre and I was the most severely disabled person. And so, and as a 17-year-old boy, I couldn't even leave my bedside for fear that my breathing would become compromised. So, you know, it was incredibly tough, incredibly tough. And then Christopher Reeve was the only person I could look up, look up to. Um, he was the old... Superman, Superman actor, yeah. exactly, and he was paralysed in an identical way to me, so I had the same level of disability, um, and then he actually died when I was still in hospital, so that was almost like a kick in the teeth, wow. because yeah. I was thinking, right. The one person that you could look up to and, and get hope from. Exactly, hope was the word. I was clinging to anything that meant that I could actually do this. Um, you know what happened happened and I mean did you did you ever revisit those really dark thoughts you had on the pitch of just let me die after in the hospital happened, um no I would say that um the pitch was the only time there was certainly a lot of um so, dark so, moments I mean, sad moments but I never once thought you know I'd rather die and and is that I want to say why is that? But you know, is is it partly to do with um, you know your family and the support you got, or was that did it come from within that strength? Um, you know, I think the human instinct is to survive, and you know, I certainly wanted to carry on living. Um, there was tough love from my my family because it was okay for them to mollycoddle me and say they're there. It's a, you know, this is terrible, but mm. you know, actually. Matt, you're young, you're going to go back to school and um, we're going to help you do this. Um, so I had the support and I did feel that because of, kind of the level of support I received from my family and friends and almost, or, and also complete strangers that went out of their way to help me, it would have been unfair for me to actually give up on myself um, if they hadn't given up on me. So it was that mindset that led me to work hard at my rehab and try and 
get home as quickly as possible. So it's real teamwork in a way, isn't it, between you and your friends and family that gave you that strength to carry on. And, you know, without them, goodness knows, you may not have had the same sort of courage or motivation. I think motivation is the right word. There were quite a lot of people in hospital who were very similarly had kind of disabled but had, you know, no support at all. And I can't imagine waking up in the morning knowing that there's nobody fighting your corner. And what are you going to do today or why are you going to do this? Why are you going to actually make the effort if there's nobody to make the effort for? You're listening to BBC Three Counties Radio, The Health Show, and in the studio we have Matt King from Hertfordshire, whose life changed dramatically when just 20 seconds into his first ever rugby game for the London Broncos Academy, he broke his neck. Matt, you're sitting here in front of me today, and like you say, in your own words, you, you, you feel normal now, you've got a whole life ahead of you, you're only 29, you're still very young. I mean, what happened to you was you were being very, very young, but you've still, you're still on the young side of life. Just talk us through your recovery, because now things are very optimistic for you, and it's, it's fantastic to end on a sort of happy, a happier note. But uh, just, yeah. just talk about how you've achieved that. Um, you know, the fact I was hurt so young was obviously terrible because I hadn't lived a life but you can also well I looked at it from the other point of view that I was still young and you know still at school so I could actually tailor my education so that I could build a career for myself and actually build a life um, I would be no good as a mechanic anymore obviously so um, I had to you know, focus on what careers I could still perform as effectively as effectively as I could have and so whilst in hospital took the decision to return to school complete my education and um, study for a law degree. So I came home in December 2004 and started going back to school at Stratton Upper School in Biggleswade in uh, the, the March of 2005. Um, completed my A-levels, um, which I passed, and then read law at the University of Hertfordshire. Um, very tough, but no tougher than for every other student. You know, it's a different way of learning. A different way of studying but my life is is different nowadays um so i graduated with um, my first class honors degree in 2009 which wow, was that's very impressive i was yeah, i was pretty chuffed with that yeah um, in law wow and then i started work in the city with um stewart's law and i've just qualified a few months ago as a barrister or a solicitor as a solicitor, solicitor. So fantastic i studied my training contract and traveled down from my um, home in bedfordshire uh, into London and you know, it led a, well, I lead a, a, a normal life. Yeah. Um, certainly, this is not something that I thought was possible in hospital, but this was always the kind of aspiration to wake up in the morning and have something to live for and to be actually leading a, a really good quality of life. And I, I am now. I'm. I mean, it's fantastic in many ways that your mind hasn't been affected by anything yep. that you've gone through. You, you didn't suffer any brain damage. There's no sort of <sighs> lasting effect on your ability to learn and to grow as a human being. Yeah, oh, of course. Um, th when I was in hospital, that, that was the fear in the initial few days that I had been um, affected by the lack of oxygen. But fortunately, my brain is OK and... I've always had a half decent brain on me. So, <laughs> I'd say uh, with a first class degree in law. Um, wow. So that, <laughs> yeah. that's certainly been on my side, but um, I've enjoyed the ride. And um, when I came home from hospital, I, um, I went skiing to Sweden. You went skiing? I went skiing. If, if um, you don't mind me asking, how? Exactly because you're in a wheelchair, you know what I mean? Like that was what's going through my mind as well. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I got home and I, you know, I've always been active and sporty. Wanted to see what I could still do. Um, so the following year, I traveled to Sweden and um, basically you sit in a ski cart, which is similar to a bobsleigh. It's got four skis, one on each corner. I sat in it and, you know, I couldn't steer it myself. So I had a ski instructor um, strapped behind me and we, you know, we um, certainly smashed the, the slopes of Sweden for a week. <laughs> Um, terrifying. It's been exhilarating, yeah. Uh, exhilarating, but yeah. um, I, I could use wow. a few more ex- expletives to be quite honest. It's quite scary. <laughs> Please don't. Um, <laughs> but no, I can imagine how you just, you know, to feel that wind rush in your hair and absolutely. the excitement of it all. I mean, God, you need something like that, you know, yeah. when, you're, when you're in a wheelchair most of the time. It was great to, I guess you forgot for half a second, maybe you forgot about your condition. Um, or is that too much to say? I would say I forgot. I don't no, okay. uh, think about it, to be honest. It's, uh, well, this that, my that's life what I mean, it's like you can get on. But I, talk, talk about some of the day-to-day practical challenges that you do face, because you've mentioned that you travel a lot, you know, from the yep. university to your job, etc. You know, talk us through how you get by. Well, um, to be honest, my, you know, my level of, level of dependence upon other people was the hardest thing to come to terms with, you know, having gone from an independent young lad um, I had to uh, face up to having everything done for me, you know, being washed, losing all my dignity. I had to be washed by other people, having my teeth cleaned. Um, so I've got a team of uh, medical support workers that care for me 24 hours a day. So even at night, I have a waking night support worker um, making sure that my breathing is okay. Um, so, you know, I think the hardest thing is actually how long everything takes. You know, to get up in the morning takes two and a half hours. You know, I'd love just to roll out of bed and get ready in five minutes but you know that's not my life anymore i don't compare my life mm. to what it would that's the have trick, been I because if i think oh I, I really wish i could just get up quickly and that's that's the sort of thing that would start playing tricks with your mind but i'm um, sorry i have a team looking after me every day um and when you say at night someone's checking your breathing is, yeah. is all working properly and that it's all you know i guess you're asleep i mean yeah. there's someone in the room with you or um, do, do, you have no. private, do you have privacy i mean what's the um, i live with my fiance we're we're getting married in july oh, so congratulations um, thank you yay <laughs> um, can't wait for it we've been together now three years oh, amazing um, and how did you meet her and we met online yeah um three years ago and you know it's been, love her to bit she Aww. sees me as the person I am still Matthew King, yeah. ir- irrespective of everything else, you know, the wheelchair, everything else. It's just me, and you know, she loves me to bits. I love her, and um, you know, our life is different. When we go away, we do different things, and we can enjoy things in a different way. And um, so we get married in July. So um, you know, there's a a line to be drawn between having privacy, but also making sure that I do make sure my health is looked after. And where are you getting married, if you don't mind me asking? In Poland. In Poland? Yes, yeah, so she's Polish, wow. so we're, we're oh, driving great. out there. So you're, so you're driving, okay. I mean, yeah. a plane journey is out of the question. How does it uh, No, I've um, flown before. I flew to Sweden. Um, I also did the New York Marathon in 2007 in a wheelchair, so we flew out there. Um, so flying's you, not an issue, sorry, but it's just... you did the New York Marathon? I did the marathon in a wheelchair, yes, yeah, so wow. with the Christopher Reef Foundation. Oh, I see. So that was... Um, Certainly another experience. That's so um, incredible. That must have been... How How did that sort of... How, how did you train for that? How did you... Yeah. Um, in hospital, um, after all my surgeries on my neck, I lost so much strength that if I wanted to turn my head on the bed, somebody had to physically actually turn my head for me. So kind of the prospect of sitting upright in my wheelchair and driving it with my chin, holding my head upright for 26 miles was incredibly daunting. So I spent hour, hour after hour, day after day, 
driving around the Bedford Autodrome, um, just building up the muscles in my neck. Amazing. And then kind of seven hours later, I'd finished the New York Marathon. That's incredible because you're so, as you're talking to me now, I have noticed that your head is quite mobile. You know, you, you can go from left to right yep. fairly easily. I don't know, if, I don't think it hurts you. It doesn't look like it it's doesn't hurting you. Or, yeah, so you've got a lot of strength there. And, it, you know, it's just incredible, isn't it, these days what people can do. I mean, you can drive a wheelchair with yeah. your chin and not only that, but for 26 miles straight. I mean, that's, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It's probably a stupid idea, to be honest. I <laughs> in, in hindsight, well, you know, in hindsight, I'm not sure it's the the best idea, but I. But you've done it, and it's a personal achievement that you, you've managed to, to yeah, sort out. So, so, Matt, what's the prognosis for the future for you? For me, um, well, health-wise, uh, status quo. I I often see on the on the media, you know, there there are certain little advances and things, and this hope for the future, but. No, I don't cling on to that. I'm I'm so happy as the person I am. Um, I don't hope for a cure. Um, and even if there was a cure tomorrow uh, for spinal cord injury, I don't think I could benefit from it because the human body just simply isn't designed, I don't think, not to move for 12 years. So kind of if they reconnected my spinal cord and I could feel my body again, you know, what sort of pain would I be? They, they just don't know what would happen. So... You know, I don't um, really follow the medical advances. I think one day there will be a cure. Mm. But in terms of the prognosis and the future for me as a person, um, I've actually left my job as a solicitor now, right. so having qualified. And I'm now a full-time business speaker, going into businesses and schools and universities and speaking to other people about my experiences and hoping to kind of change their mindset. A motivational type speaker. Yeah, I'm a motivational speaker, but I love doing it. And I'm, I'm sure I make more impact as a, a speaker than I do as a lawyer. So. Right. Well, you've got such a fascinating story. What, yeah. what would be your um, parting gift or parting tip to anyone listening to this who goes away today and, and, and thinks what a fascinating story, but then perhaps sees someone like you in a wheelchair on the street yeah. and, and then judges them because of that rather than the person they are? I mean, how do you... How can you advise people to sort of see through all that and get to the real person? Um, sometimes when I have kind of awkward encounters, um, I don't actually blame the other person because it's not often that you see somebody, you know, with my level of disability. And if it, if it hadn't happened to me, I probably would have been that person walking down the street and looking at somebody and being really awkward and not knowing how to speak to them. But, you know, I'm still the person I always have been and treat them like that. Don't... Um, see the, their wheelchair, don't see the disability and just um, see them as somebody getting on with their own life. Matt King, thank you so much for your time. I'm afraid we've run out of time on this programme. What a fascinating interview. We're doing it all again next week. We've got a fantastic show coming up uh, from Sunday at one o'clock next week. Um, and, uh, well, if you want to hear any more of Matt's story, please go to our Facebook page or our iPlayer page, bbc.co, uh, bbc.co.uk slash three counties and we can get all the information that you need on there. Matt, did you want a final word? Um, yeah, I've just got a website if anybody ah, yes, please would do. like to find out anything more about my speaking. It's uh, www.mattkinguk.co.uk and on there you'll find all information about my speaking and hopefully what I can do to help people. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank I you. We're going to take a little bit of travel news. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio.
In Bedford, Tavistock Street is closed today between Harper Street and Queen Street for roadworks taking place. Also some more works in Biggleswade on the High Street. That's also closed between the Bulk and Rose Lane there as well. And finally, public transport, Bakerloo Line. Trains will not be stopping at Paddington for engineering works. And that's the latest. I'm Howard Kassam for BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, what a fantastic show. We'll do it all again next week. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you so much. See you next week. Goodbye. Beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio.